7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabi Somosia. And a very good evening. I am Tabiso Mosia. Luyolom Kalipi is the producer. Babalwa is in technical uh, with us uh, this evening. And Tabuko Khadebe is our man on social media. Good evening, everybody. And tonight on the show, we are going to delve a bit deeper in this Tendai Ndoro and Ice Cape Town saga. And we're going to talk about uh, uh, an issue that has not really been touched on in the six months of this ongoing case. And that is the involvement of the PSL's head of legal, Mr. Michael Murphy, whose firm, where he is a director and he is a registered attorney, is also representing Ike's Cape Town here, as well as Amazulu, are of course seeking to be reinstated um, to their top eight position, which they lost after Supersport United were given the points that were docked from Ajax, and this resulted in United moving into eighth position ahead of Amazulu. There are, uh, of course, financial implications to this because Amazulu are potentially losing out on at least 800,000 rand for being in the top eight alone, and 8 million rand if they went on and won uh, those uh, four matches and their prize money for finishing eighth will also be reduced now because they're no longer in that position. So it's a swing of over at least a million rand and nine million if they were to win the MTN8. But because we are sports people and we are not familiar with the law, um, that's why we ended up behind the mic. It surely seems like a conflict of interest to us here if Michael Murphy's firm can represent uh, PSL clubs while he is head of legal of the PSL. And uh, he's the one, of course, who appealed the PSL Derek his decision to clear Tenda Indoro of any wrongdoing. He appealed it on behalf of the PSL and that's after Ajax who are represented by his law firm as I've mentioned Murphy's attorneys had been given the green light to use Indoro by the PSL DRC which Mr. Michael Murphy claims that is not part of and we want to get an expert's view here to find out um, if this represents a conflict of interest or or not because we are really not sure and that's why we've invited somebody and, and we want to find out if Mr. Murphy is not double deeping here. What does the law society say? Where does this fit in as far as ethics are concerned because I understand that if you are studying law you also have a course about ethics and please if you are a legal expert also do listen and join the conversation and educate us here you can call us on 0891 our sms line is 40938 our whatsapp number is 0614104107 and our hashtag is SAFM a spot on for those on social media and then after that we are we will speak to the new cricket SA CEO, Mr. Tabang Muru. He's agreed to speak to us after touching down from India today. And we just want to have a brief chat with him just to get his thinking and to get his his plans on the way forward. And what are the first things that is that is tackling? Did he go to India on duty? Was it a trip that was planned before? Because there's also the issue with... Um, the T20 Global League that was supposed to happen last year and it was uh, postponed and those owners are not happy uh, so we want to find out where do they stand in, in that one and also um, the issue with the South African Cricketers Association you'll remember that with the with um discussed it a few times on this show with that MOU that was to be signed and he also made some bold statements Mr. Tabang Moro about um, uh, women's cricket and the women's team and how they should be remunerated and a lot of people were saying that he's uh, over ambitious here uh, but he believes that they should be getting uh, proper money the women's cricket team so we'll just uh, get a bit of understanding from him and also just understand a bit of his background because he is a man that's been involved in in, in cricket for a very long time uh, Mr. Tabang Moro uh, but before all of that let's get into this Ajax vessel 
Masters PSL uh, Saga and we are joined on the line by Mr. Chris Doby uh, from the organiza- uh, Organizational uh, Ethics Development Manager from the Ethics Institute and he will help us just understand and educate us as sports people. I'm not saying we are dumb, I'm not saying we're stupid, but obviously it's not our strong point, the law, but uh, from what we're seeing in black and white, it seems like a conflict of interest, but let's get an expert's uh, view here. Mr. Doby, good evening, sir, and thank you very much for your time and for joining us on SAFM. Good evening. Thanks for, for having me. It is it is my first time on a sports show. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you. These things happen sometimes. And uh, yeah, uh, we really need your help here, Mr. Doby, to just make us understand what is conflict of interest and what's ethical or not in terms of the legal system. We have the head of legal at the PSL who is a director of a firm that also represents PSL clubs. Firstly, is there anything wrong with this? I think... Um before I get into detailed questions, I'd like to just sort of give a bit of, of background to it. Yes, sir. Um, I think for transparency, you know, the information that I have at my disposal is uh, a, a radio interview that Mr. Murphy did um, on another radio station that I that I listened to. And, and that's all the information I I have to to work on. So I'm just working on, on what I heard there. Yes, sir. But maybe before we go into the details of it, so... Firstly, to understand what a professional is, because uh, Mr. Murphy is a legal professional and the firm is a firm of professionals. Now, a firm, a professional is someone who uses their expert knowledge in the interest of another party. In other words, I myself don't necessarily have the legal skills and therefore I go to a lawyer um, and that lawyer then assists me, but does so in my interest. So not in their interest at all. They have to look after my interests. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously within the, the legal framework and, and ethical parameters that, that guide that. Um, so if you look at, um, at, at this situation, um, let's call it two-dimensionally. Um, sure. We say that there is the head of legal at the PSL, and um, this person uh, is also part of a law firm, and that law firm is then acting uh, against the PSL. Yes. So if we look at it two-dimensionally, I think it does seem like a conflict of interest. So I, I totally, um, you know, I think we call, talk about perceived conflicts of interest. Um, so I understand why we would ask the question, is this a conflict of interest? But it's quite a complex scenario, um, and I, I don't think it's a common one. Uh, and I also wouldn't want it to become a common one because uh, it, it is very complicated and there's a lot of possibility for irregularity in it. So a conflict of interest also is not something that is necessarily um, corrupt or wrong or something like that, but it means that your own interests are conflicted with the interests of the organization you represent or the person you represent, or you are conflicted between two organizations that you represent. In other words, I might have one client, let's say my employer in this case, the PSL, and then I represent also the opposition. So there are two parties with conflicting interests that um, are represented. In the legal environment, um, it is common in large law firms for um, there to be um, that a, a law firm deals with opposing clients, but there's a Chinese war in the law firm. In other words, the, um, the two teams don't, do not 
speak to each other, they don't engage with each other, etc., etc. So, yeah, it's it's not a it's not a straightforward, simple scenario. Um, the the concern in in this case would be whether each of the the parties, in other words, the PSL, do they feel that they have had the best representation that they could get? In other words, that their interests were looked after. And then also Ajax. Hmm. Are their interests looked after sufficiently? So are they confident that whoever acted on their behalf did so sufficiently? Hmm. And then, of course, there's the concern, and and I'm absolutely not saying that this happened, but when you have these relationships, then there's a concern that there might be confidential information that that seeps through Etc. Etc. Um, so, so those are are the concerns one might have. Mr. Dobby, you touched on ethical parameters. What is that? What are those? Um, so it's, it would be the rules and the guidelines, um, the, the code of ethics of the of the um, the profession, really. So, what the ethics that govern the profession. And um, Mr. Murphy, and please, uh, everybody listening, don't get us wrong. This is not an attack on Mr. Murphy, but we're just trying to understand the situation better because this saga has been dragging for six months now, and we're just trying to find reasons of why it's taken uh, so long. And this is one of the points uh, that we've highlighted on this show that we that we, 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 we find very interesting. He's previously uh, told us that he might be a director of the firm, but is not directly involved with their cases or this particular matter. Does this then absolve him from what is seen or what is perceived as a personal conflict of interest, as a perceived conflict of interest? So, like I said, in in law firms, sometimes um, they deal with matters. So, in other words, um, I might have a client in this in a large law firm. I have no idea what the size of this law firm is. Um, but I might have a, let's say I work for a law firm, I might have a client in this law firm um, one of my colleagues, who is also in this law firm, represents the opposition. So it is it is possible to happen, and obviously not desirable. Um, but sometimes there's expert expertise that is not found in a lot of law firms. So in other words, the the the, the client would weigh up and say, "Well, I, I I do understand there's a potential for a conflict of interest." But because I want this person, I understand that they are an expert in this field. And I, I don't know how many experts there are in the field, in the specific mm-hmm. field. Um, I, I prefer to go for, for them, and I'm happy that the, the methods or the, uh, um, the things they have put in place um, to manage the conflict of interest are, are adequate. Um, but I, I, I yeah. If it was, if if the private, uh, if, if the PSL was a was my company, let's say that, um, I'm not sure that I would be comfortable if one of my employees' company acts against my company. Um, so the, the perception of it is obviously there. Um, it, it's something that's there. And it would obviously be cleaner if he wasn't a director of uh, of that law firm. Mm. And with the perception being there, Mr. Uh, Adobe, um, could he then have excused himself from the case? Uh, does it happen in certain instances that one party would excuse himself from the case for fear of a conflict of interest or for fear of a perceived conflict of interest? 
Yes, um, that is obviously uh, one possibility to manage the conflict of interest better, that he totally removes himself from from that matter. Again, I don't know whether they have other legal people at the PSL who would then engage with that. So, as I understand it, he isn't directly involved in the matter, so he briefs an attorney. He briefs another uh, attorney, and that um, attorney then runs with with the matter independently. So he doesn't lead evidence, etc., on behalf of um, of the PSL. So, but he briefs an attorney. Um, in the interview that I heard, he was clear that he cannot brief his own company. So, I mean, that that I think goes without saying. He cannot brief his own company. Um, but in this instance, it was that they were on the opposing side. Um, that was the issue. So, so the big concern would be, um, did the law firm act in the best interest of Ajax? Um, and then did he act in the best interest of his client to the extent that uh, he was involved in the matter? In, in that interview that you had, which I actually did on another radio station, he does mm. say that he was aware that his firm was representing uh, IX, but he still stayed on the case. Is there anything wrong with mm. that or there's nothing wrong with that? Well, I think if there's other capacity in the organization, he should recuse himself. Okay. You know, in other words, if there is another legal advisor in the PSL that can take that on, he should recuse himself. It's going to make it a lot cleaner. Um, and and um, you know, just have, have better boundaries. Um, so, so what I'm saying is that it's not necessarily wrong, and it's yes, for yes, the yes. clients to determine. Um, I don't know what the what the law society's rules of conduct say about this. So the ethical parameters, I don't know uh, what that says. So I'm just assessing it on a normal conflict of interest um, scenario. Yeah. People, so are the clients happy yeah. with, with what happened? My concern is that um, in this case, it might be that everything is above board, everything is transparently done, and there's nothing, there's nothing untoward. But if it becomes common practice that a legal advisor at an organization can have his own legal firm, it just opens up so many possibilities for conflicts of interest that can be seen, and it can... Um, it can definitely uh, reduce the ethical standards in, in the legal profession. And I think it's um, the possibilities for conflicts of interest are just too numerous, um, and you wouldn't want it to become a standard thing. Well, he has previously been in this situation before, as recently as last year when there was the Kegan Dolly saga, uh, where the firm was also representing um, one of the clubs, and then he was on the other side. A lot of people are saying he should have been more cautious this time around because even then, last year, there were, there were concerns. And people are saying that um, he cannot possibly be ob- objective if his law firm is involved in, in, mm. in the same matter. Is this argument valid? you understand where the people are coming from? Yeah. I think, there's, like I said, there's a perception of a conflict of interest. And, and the purpose of, um, of all of this is to build trust. So you want to build trust and you want to be perceived as trusted. So if there is a public interest in anything, obviously that um, requirement is a, is a lot higher. Um, so if there are concerns around this, then I think they should manage it better. Um, it, it's not something that can constantly recur and, and they don't um, deal with a breakdown of trust that's, that's happening. So they need to manage it better, absolutely. Uh, 
you know, if there is something where the firm is there, then maybe someone else should take it over at the PS uh, at the PSL side. Um, but probably from the PSL perspective, their head of legal, I would argue, shouldn't have a, a separate legal practice. Uh, you know, I, I understand that they might have taken him, and he, um, you know, as a specialist in the field, and he came with certain um, certain other interests. But ideally, uh, it, it's definitely not ideal for a legal representative in an organization to have their own separate legal firm. A lot of organizations have the policy that you may have certain outside interests, but those interests may not be in your professional field where you operate. In other words, an engineer works for an organization, they may not have a separate engineering firm. A lawyer works for an organization, they may not have a, a separate law firm. So a lot of organizations have that policy in place, and it definitely makes things a lot cleaner, it makes it a lot easier, and it avoids these uh, difficult conflicts of interest. Mm. There's also another term that I came across while working on this story, which is double-deeping. Uh, what is this term? Um, is it a law term? What is what is double-deeping? I'm not... I'm not very familiar with the term myself. If I had to, um, if I had to interpret it, I'd say it's probably when you are paid on on both sides of the equation. So, again, there would be a concern if he gets paid. So, in other words, if he gets uh, um, some kind of remuneration um, because of his directorship at the at the firm. And so in other words, I'm being paid on 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 both sides. Mm. Um, there, the conflict might be that uh, you do um, extend the matter in order to get more um, more fees for for the firm or something like that. So, yeah, I think, like I say, I'm not too familiar with the matter, but sure. I would I would think that it's about being paid on both sides of a of a transaction. Another issue, Mr. Adobe, that, that, that confuses a lot of us and a lot of the fans um, is, is an issue of where there's the PSL DRC, which is said to be independent from the PSL. And uh, is this normal? And please excuse our ignorance because people are confused by the fact that there's a DRC that is independent but carries the name of the PSL. I'm not sure if you're able to shed any light on this on this one. I'm not at all familiar with the workings of, of the PSL and the, and the DRC. Okay, we've got a, we've got some people calling us. Um, uh, just a few questions. We will uh, take the calls after this quick break. If you've just joined us, we are talking to Mr. Chris Adobe, Organizational Ethics Development Manager from the Ethics Institute. And we're just trying uh, to understand this issue of Mr. Michael Murphy, who is um, a part of Murphy's attorneys, is a director, is a registered attorney with the law firm, and he is the head of legal at the PSL. But his firm also represents clubs in the PSL, including Ike's Cape Town in this Tendai Indoro matter. And uh, we saw Mr. Murphy on the other side with the PSL at the press conference talking on behalf of the PSL. And we've also found out recently that um, his firm also represents Amazulu, who also have an interest in this matter because they want their top eight position back. So if you are, uh, have any questions or want to add to this conversation, please uh, feel free to call on 891 SMS 4093 we are still talking to Mr. Chris Doby just to try and understand the law or the ethics uh, a, a bit better in this Tenda Indora saga because a lot of us don't understand why it's taken uh, so long. And uh, KGM in Cape Town has called us. Good evening, KGM. What's your comment? Good evening. 
evening, and Sadovi and to the listeners. Look, uh, my first point of departure is this. I, I disagree with, with your guest on this premise. Um, I would have loved for him to, to have come up with uh, a precedent because there is precedence in law. I'm not a lawyer, but these are some of the simplest cases that you can deal with. Uh, in my humble view, there's a clear case uh, for uh, conflict of interest here. Um, and, I, and I'm taking it from my own personal experience. You, you, you can be a director and a company and a shareholder, and really it's telling between those two. Is he just a, an executive director? Is he also a shareholder? If I had those details, I would, I would you know, give a, pre- a precedence with a case that I've been to court with and, and, and the outcomes of that, because that's what the, 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 the magistrates or um, the, the, the judges would look at. And secondly, there's an important factor here that we're not talking about, and that point is the, the fact of the law. Uh, people must, with due respect to, to your guests and, and other legal practitioners, legal practitioners are not the law, including the judges. That's why the, the, is our system in this country has so many... So many uh, 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 Desolations of, of the legal system. You can start from the magistrate's court. It goes all the way to the constitutional court, because there, there has to be a point where the the, the, the majority of the jury says uh, we agreed to interpret the law into this fashion or in this manner. Now, the, the, if you look at how he is involved as a, an, an, an employee, for a lack of a, a better terminology, of the PSL. And you look at his uh, legal firm, where he's also active as a director. And you look at the case and the merits of the case and his involvement personally. It, it, it goes without a say. There is merit to a conflict of interest. I wish I had enough time so that we can really deliberate on this. But my humble view is in, definitely there is to, to the conflict well, of interest. I, I don't think Mr. Doby said there is no conflict of interest. I think he said actually there is a possibility of a conflict of interest. Mr. Doby, do you want to respond to that? Yes, I, I think uh, um, and maybe something that, that uh, didn't clear in what I was saying, but from the interview that he gave, he said he is not active in the firm. Um, and, and I'm not clear exactly what that means. Um, because he's a director at the firm, but he's not active in the firm. In other words, he's saying he currently works full-time at the PSL. He does not do work for the firm. So in other words, what I hear is that he is currently a director on paper. And I, and that, I, so I'm not sure what that means. If there is more involvement than that currently, um, then the concern becomes very different. So in other words, if he is there on a, um, and he does work for the firm, and et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not sure exactly what it means, but that was what he stated in that, in that interview, that he is not currently active in the firm. Um, and I think it's, a, it's an important distinction because it means that there is much more of an arm's length between him and the firm. Um, and also, you, you can't necessarily block a firm from taking on certain clients. Um, it's they are blocked from taking on the PSL as a client, so he can't brief his own firm. Um, but whether you can block them from taking on other clients, I'm not sure. Okay, let's go to Mike in Cape Town. Thank you for calling us, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi, cool. Um Look, it's, I think we there is a general consensus that if it's not um, 
technically uh, a technical um, conflict of interest, then it's, it's some, it, it is something that is related somehow to a conflict of interest. I don't think that we should be wasting our time as much um, in terms of that because everyone uh, is, is, is looking at this and they're like, Oof, I don't know how you can uh, represent this one and then a company that is aligned to you represents the other. You know what I'm saying? So I think that there is generally an idea in the sense from the football family that um, there is conflict of interest. I would like to use your guest um, to help us here because there's something that I'm noticing that we may need to. If this matter goes to FIFA, um, I want to get to help us here. Ajax Cape Town played against Platinum Stars. They, we all know now that you're not supposed to play for three different clubs. Uh, you can register, but you can't play for three different clubs in the same season with, when their seasons are aligned in terms of the calendar. Here's what happened. Ajax Cape Town played against Platinum Stars. They won. They were wrong there. Um, they didn't read the rules. The PSO wasn't wrong in issuing the cards. They were wrong there. That's minus three points. They played against Orlando Pirates. After that, they won there. There was a protest from um, Orlando Pirates. I'm just not certain as to whether it was we had reached a point where they were given a go-ahead by the TRC. Subsequent to that, anything other than those first two matches, they were given an instruction by a legal body of that is independent uh, but the, it has a, it has a legal authority uh, from the PSL to rule, and they played subsequently, and they won. So that's six points from their own doing of not reading the rules, and and I I, I should think that they, those points should be taken away. Subsequent to that, Super Sport United and Bulukwana City, those four points, they will I, I suppose uh, because they were given an instruction by the by a legal body representing the PSL that they could okay. play the player. I, think, I, I just want to get your guess as to if it gets to a level of FIFA. FIFA is obviously going to say... Okay, okay to be sure, fair, to be fair, Mike, sorry to come in. Um, so so we, we, we now have a, a, a situation where would, they, would, the, would, would FIFA look at this and say that they were given incorrectly the instructions to be fair, M- Mike, uh, that's not why we brought Mr. Doby in here for, um, I-, I-, I don't think he's a, an expert in football matters. We were just trying to understand the ethics. But I understand very much where you're coming from because Ajax were cleared by the DRC to use Tendai Ndoro and that's why they continue to use him and that's their argument. James in Johannesburg, you've got a comment? How are you? Fine, thanks, James. I'm fine. Uh, look, uh, the PSL has got one principle. If you own a club... You cannot own another club because you have got the conflict of interest in case the two teams played against each other. You could influence the decision to suit whatever your agenda, and that will disrespect the spirit of football. The story with Michael Messi representing both sides, it's, 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 for me, it's, it's something that is uncalled for, and it speaks to or it tells the state of how the castle has degenerated into um, with someone like uh, Manto Madala, uh, the chairman, we shouldn't be where we are. I, 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 I don't think there should be any other way to justify what Michael Macy has done. He has brought the league and its sponsors into this retreat. And with what the PSL is doing, insisting on these court cases and all that without finding a, a football solution football solution between them and Ajax, that would be outside of the court. The FIFA as an organization doesn't like a situation where matters are taken to the court because you must remember, we deal mostly with time. Courts will keep postponing and postponing and the season can only run from one period to the other. So you've got 
once you miss that time, you cannot get it again. I believe that Michael Murphy should not be representing the PSL. He should not be appearing on their press conferences because this, what's happening, has contributed in so many ways. He cleared Ajax to use the player that was not supposed to play. I uh, I don't know, but I, I, I don't think we should have any other way of justifying. Okay. And I'm not saying the professor is justifying him. He has clarified this point. I understand. Okay, thanks, James. Selby, you'll be the last one in Pulukwane. Thank you. I think uh, James has just spoken about some of the issues I wanted to raise. Mr. Michael is very you know, aware of the clear conflict of interest in this case. My question is for PSL to... Uh, I don't know if it has a policy that actually restricts you know, uh, people in his position from doing business with PSL or, or, or any other you know, competitors, if I can call it like that. Because that, for me, it's something that should actually stop this conflict of interest from the first place. So I, I don't know. There should, be, there should have been a, a position uh, from PSL in the first place, bearing any other person who is doing business with PSL from you know doing similar practices. Thank you, Selby. And by the way, we did invite PSL on the show tonight and they've declined our invite to come and talk about uh, this matter because we also want a few answers uh, from them. Uh, Mr. Dobie, the, uh, another issue that we are faced with, um, I think James touched on it in, in football, in our football, is that the PSL acting CEO um, also owns a club and has been acting for almost three years uh, with the post seemingly never being advertised. What do ethics or what do governors, governance laws say about this? Um, again, just to um, say that this is my first time on a sports show, and for yes, quite yes. a good reason. Um, but um, I think if there are potentials for conflicts of interest in that, and it seems to me that if you are um, the CEO of the organisation, that um, I, I suppose they have sort of a, uh, a independent role that they should be playing with regard to the clubs. Um, it's very much not an ideal situation. Um, Am I correct in saying that they they need to be playing an independent role uh, in in the soccer league? So if you own one of the clubs, obviously there's there's significant potential for conflicts of interest and influence uh, within the organisation as far as all of that goes. Um, just to also respond to uh, what Jane said. Yes. Um, well, I think what everybody says. I I, I get the sense that um, there's a lot of uh, breakdown of trust. Uh, in the processes of the PSL. And I think that requires a, a higher standard of, of governance. In other words, where people already mistrust it, we should be even more risk-averse when it comes to these conflict of interest issues. So I'm not saying that there's not a conflict of interest. I think there is a conflict of interest, but that it might have been managed sufficiently. So where there's a conflict of interest, you have to raise it, you have to be aware of it, the clients need to be aware of it, and um, they need to say that we are comfortable and you can proceed uh, in this matter. So uh, if that was done, it was uh, it's sort of in line, I think, with standard practice, although I'm not a lawyer and I'm not familiar with the the legal rules. but I think it's, the government standard should be should be raised uh, and there should be a lot more clarity on these matters going forward. Which brings us finally to another frequently asked question. 
in, in our football of the chairman of the PSL also being the chairman of a club in the PSL. Uh, is this normal? Do you understand why people would complain about this also, which is a similar complaint to that of the CEO? Absolutely. I, I think if there's um, if it's a low-trust environment, you want to somehow get independence into that. But I, I also understand you know, that um, there's, I suppose, a lot of... Um, the soccer fraternity is is is, is only so big, and um, it, it, I suppose it could become quite an incestuous type of of environment. Um, but I think for something that people are this passionate about, um, they should aim for an independent um, chairperson and CEO, so people who are not owners of of clubs, unless I misunderstand how the PSL works. Okay, Mr. Doby, we really appreciate uh, your time and finding time to speak to us on the sports show. Uh, excuse our ignorance, but we just wanted clarity and we just wanted a better understanding of this situation as we uh, continue to find out why it is taking so long. And we really, really appreciate your input tonight. Thank you very much. Thank, Have a good one. Thank sure. you, sir. Mr. Chris Doby, Organizational Ethics Development Manager at the Ethics Institute. If there are people that still want to call us, um, I can open the lines for another two minutes before we do a cricket. After this quick break, feel free to call us and add 891 I'll read the tweets also. SMS 40938, WhatsApp 061 It's hashtag SAFM Sport On. And I did ask earlier on people in the legal fraternity, if you're listening to us, also, please join the conversation and just help us understand better what is double dipping and and all sorts of these illegal terms that are being um, that are, are, are being used. But we we'll still have to talk to Mr. Tabang Mura, acting CEO of Cricket South Africa. Call Tabiso now. 0891-104-207. Okay, we've got a late entry call from Jacob in Bloom. Before we talk cricket, and I go to your tweets, Jacob, what do you want to add? Good evening. Hi, Tabiso. I- you know, I was listening to to the to the, to, to the advocate or lawyer, mm. the one you think to, and and, and I, yeah, I think for soccer it, it, it's a bit different mm. in terms if you want to try to, to soccer, because in any in most organisations the people that become chairperson of board and everything are mostly people in for for in my industry are people who are in the same industry. And you, one man, my, my, I'm an arguing say, oh, if it's prop so and so is, is this, and the same prop can be can have his own um, thing on the whatever he's doing on the side. Well, well, because these people cannot do not necessarily work full time. So I'll be saying board members cannot have anything that they they're doing, because they might have lots of interest. If, if it's if it's declared and everybody know, I don't think then it creates any problem. Because everybody will be aware, and the yeah. same applies for. Because I mean, when we talk about we play on the field, as the style is, I mean, the, all these things that support that your your DC and all that, they're not PSL. PSL DC does not fall under the CEO. CEO. It's an external body that is considered by the legal people who are outside. So I think sometimes I've, I've read people saying, "Cause that is." Uh, sometimes I think when we, we, we complain. I think we complain sometimes from a position of maybe not necessarily understanding. Because I've, I've, what I've noticed that I think the 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 the, 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 the uh, person that you're talking to should at least sometimes do uh, when they comment, do research about what uh, if there's ethics ethics on 
on specific problems. Ethics in health is ethics uh, in particular things. They're not necessarily uh, universal. They are universal ethics, but in certain things, there are certain things that, that differ. Well, uh, Jacob, that's why we also invited the PSL to come and, and make us understand if this was declared or not. And I think that's one of the questions that I wanted to ask to them. Are they aware of this? Has it been, de- has it been declared? Are they aware of it? Are they happy with it? But unfortunately, the PSL uh, wouldn't come on the show. Just some tweets. Um, Z- ZN Sash says uh, he can represent two parties in a matter it, if their interest in the matter are not in conflict. But I don't know how he can be head of legal of PSL and an attorney to its teams. I just cannot see how such an obvious conflict can be managed. Musiwa Ramuluko says I think Murphy was trying to be biased in favor of Ajax. The only thing that can be done is to hold him accountable for this mess he did. Ajax versus uh, PSL. Tammy says the reality is Michael Murphy is reaping rewards from both opposing parties. He may not have been actively involved in the case within the law firm, but but by being rewarded with the law firm through the fees paid by Ike's, then is guilty of impropriety in my view. And also, uh, Mukwevo says, that's why I keep on saying, let's get rid of these old schools uh, who run PSL and SAFA and get a new ideas. They're playing hide and seek with us. And uh, also somebody saying, how is it possible that he's on both sides? Kanjani, that's uh, the comment. How does it even uh, happen? How is it possible? And Tataga Ibanozana says, so Kren Kren, he advises the PSL on the Ndoro gate and then his firm represents Ike's uh, Amazulu are fighting for a top eight firm, a top eight place, and then his firm again represents Ajax to fight against relegation. How did we get to this point? Well, we try to get the answers for you, uh, but we can't uh, get all the answers if the PSL doesn't come on board. But let's switch our focus now to cricket and we'll talk to newly appointed CEO Mr. Tabang Muro, who has been acting in that position for some time after the departure of Mr. Harun Logat. Mr. Muro, good evening, sir. Thank you for joining us on SAFM. I know you landed back from India today and we really appreciate you finding time to speak to us. Uh, good evening, Tabiso, and good evening to your listeners, uh, to your listeners rather, and uh, it's a pleasure. Was India your first stop since being appointed, or was the trip always on the cards? Oh, the trip was always on the on the cards. It's just uh, had, it just so happened to coincide with the with the appointment. So even if um, I had not been awarded the permanent CEO position, I would have still had to go in aiding uh, whoever the incumbent would have been. Mm. So, w- was this appointment ever in doubt, or were you co- were you confident of getting it? And how does it work? Do you apply? Are you recommended? Oh, okay. Um, so, the position, I mean, it's always in doubt because of the fact that it goes through a proper recruitment process in the sense that it was um, advertised, um, you know, and um, there was uh, shortlisting uh, being done, and this was uh, obviously being done. By, uh, it was done independently uh, by the HR guys uh, together with the uh, board. And um, after that, uh, the shortlisting, we were then obviously, uh, whoever the shortlisted uh, candidates were, had to come and uh, make presentations to the interviewing committee. And uh, the interviewing committee then took its scores and recommendation to the remunerations committee, which further made recommendations to the board and the board to appoint. So it was a proper and uh, rigorous uh, process. And it's not your first high-profile position, of course. I remember a few years ago on another platform talking to you after being appointed president of the GCB at a very young age at the time. Um, You must have been 30 or 31, if I'm not mistaken. Were you taken aback by that appointment? Were you ready at the time? 
Um, to be quite honest, uh, when I was appointed uh, president of uh, Gauteng Kruger Board, I honestly didn't think I was ready. I felt that I was a bit uh, too young for the position. I was actually 28 at the time. Um, you know, so I was uh, still uh, pretty wet behind the ears. But I think the support structure that I had and uh, the fact that I'm a very uh, principled individual and uh, pretty strong, strong-minded as well in the sense that I don't always do what uh, I get told. You know, there must always be that uh, one moment where I listen to that inner voice and it sort of guides me. And if it if it goes along with what Tadiso would be advising me, then I guess that will be the decision. But if it goes against, then I I tend to follow my, my instincts and try and use best practice as well while doing it. And obviously because of, you know, the positions that, we are in uh, being so highly political because of sports. You know, sports speaks to our people's hearts. It speaks to the communities. It speaks mm-hmm. to everybody that has an interest as far as the well-being of, of the country and our sport is concerned. And, it makes it very yeah. tricky because you have so many people who are stakeholders and uh, have, you know, direct conflict in terms of getting advice. Yes, and your involvement in cricket goes back a long way. I mentioned earlier on that you've played Baker's Mini Cricket like the rest of us. But at what stage did you get into administration? Uh, I think I was, to be quite honest, I think I was 24 when I got into cricket administration. And uh, this was now at uh, Dobsonville Cricket Club. Um, Our chairperson uh, was was leaving the club uh, to go into the corporate sector. And uh, didn't have the time that he need that he that he now had previously in terms of being able to run the club because he was our chairperson as well as being coach of the first team. Uh, you know, being uh, coming from from a disadvantaged background, you tend to have the chairperson of the club being jack of all trades. <laughs> so uh, with him, with him, with him leaving the club, he now needed somebody to come and take over from him, and. Um, his natural choice was was uh, me uh, because I was the captain of the first team. But uh, you know, with him um, asking me to to to, to be now the club chairperson meant I had to step down from being captain and focus on running the club and um, you know um, assisting the guys with uh, a bit of coaching. Although I wasn't and still am not qualified to be a coach, but uh, those are some of the things we had to do just to get by. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I think uh, it, it was at uh, the age of 24 when I started cricket administration. And um, yeah, four years later, I was chairperson of Houghton Cricket Board. I saw that you were also chairperson of a Blacks-only cricket association. Is that correct? And if so, what was that? Um, so so what happened was, I think, uh, uh, two years uh, down the line, I think I was 26 now at the time, um, there was uh, there was a movement where black African clubs were feeling disgruntled in terms of the the, 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 the treatment that they were getting from treatment from cricket rather, uh, whereby uh, the voting system that was being used by cricket boards was a lopsided one. So, for instance, a club like um, Dobsonville Cricket Club, we had four four votes, between three and four votes. Uh, when it came to voting matters at Houting Cricket Board, whereas to a club like uh, an Old Eds or a club like a Wanderers would have seven votes. Mm. So, for instance, if you accumulated all the points 
uh, or the voting points of all black clubs in Gauteng, and you pin them against four or five white clubs, we will get outvoted. So needless to have a look at the number of white clubs around the province, and you would see the problems that that we were faced with. You know, it didn't need to take all clubs to disagree with the equality and, you know, the, 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 the like-minded treatment and leadership that we wanted to disagree with us, to be outvoted. It only took a few clubs. Mm-hmm. So we needed to, to get things right. And that's when the guys at the time formed what they called the Black African Cricket Clubs. So it was just basically all black clubs coming together to sort of formulate a strategy in terms of how are we going to work together to make sure that our voice is heard and then equally to make sure that we speak with one voice. And over and above that, when we do get all these things right, we choose our own leadership so that we don't have now at the same time people fighting for positions or people being elected on our behalf to represent us. So that's essentially why we uh, formed this Black African Cricket Club and for some reason, at the time, the guys felt, although I was the youngest uh, club chairperson around, they felt I was the right guy to lead that sort of movement and be the one that speaks on behalf of the club at Gauteng Cricket. Wow, sure. What an interesting one. Mr. Tabangmore will wrap up after this uh, quick break. We just want to understand, well, we just want to uh, find out more about you. We'll invite you one day. We've already told you. We'll bring you to studio and then we'll talk a bit more cricket. But right now, we just want to get a background of who Tabang Mora is and we'll wrap up after this break. At SAFM Radio and at Tabiso Musia on Twitter. And we are wrapping up with Mr. Tabang Mora and uh, Morolong on uh on Twitter says this man went through the ranks. I didn't even know he's a he's well deserved to be CEO. Not is not a fluke at all. Uh, Mr. Moro, as we as we as we wrap up now, you are also vice president of Cricket South Africa. Now you are the CEO. What's the difference in these two roles? Um, you know, being the vice president of Cricket South Africa, really, uh, my job at the time was to provide uh, guidance and support to the then CEO. Um, because uh, uh, being based in Gauteng, and obviously the organization uh, is also based in Gauteng. And uh, secondly, I would double up and uh, be given the roles of being president of the organization should the president not be available. Um, as I said, because of the organization being in Gauteng and most um, authority, authority bodies being based in and around Gauteng area, Anytime there were, you know, emergency meetings that needed to be attended by federations and cricket needed to be there, I would be the one going. So mm-hmm. if we were someone by the minister, if we were someone by Sethcock, if, we were, for instance, we needed to meet the president of the country and so forth, if I needed to go to the, uh, you know, the union buildings, things like that. So I would mm-hmm. be the one doing that. I would usurp the power of being president of the organization and I'd go represent uh, Cricket South Africa. And and now, uh, you see, now now that I'm CEO, I'm I'm definitely the one in charge of all the operations, so all the uh, policies and and and, and uh, decisions that get uh, ratified and made at board level, I must now put them into implementation. So the vision, the mission of the uh, company, you know, the strategy that the board has, I'm supposed to now take it further, break it down for my line of managers and. Uh, turn it into, you know, a, an operational document. Uh, over and above that, obviously, uh, part of my responsibilities involves growing the game of cricket. We all know that as much as 
we show the proteas on free to air uh, you know, they'll be broadcasting on radio as well, and we show them on pay TV. It's really not enough. How do we go out there and go to our people? How do we start making sure that cricket is being broadcast mm-hmm. in all other languages so that we encompass all our people as far as the sport is concerned? Because even though we're doing all of that, it seems, it still seems as if cricket is only for those who are English-speaking. Yeah. So a person with, uh, you know, of South Sochi origin has nowhere to go where cricket is being broadcast in their mother tongue. A person who's Venda, a person who happens to be Tsonga, Zulu Ndebele, and so forth. So we need to make sure that, you know, in our strategy of growing the game, it includes communication, it includes the learning part of it, it includes the treatment, the equity, the fairness. You know, is cricket really equipped to welcome women, you know, into, into the sport of cricket? Does cricket really want to grow with women being part of it? And uh, the past will tell you that, no, we haven't done enough uh, in terms of how we treat uh, the ladies, how we treat the, the women in the national team, uh, let alone those in the pipeline. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Those are things that we need to look at. The relationships uh, with government and other key stakeholders, mm. we need to improve those. We haven't had a major tournament uh, since 2003. You know, there's reasons behind that, but we need to make sure that the coming line of events that ICC is going to announce, Cricket South Africa is definitely at the top of their list. Those are things that I'm working on to make sure that, uh, you know, we put South Africa on the map. We we do our bit in terms of strengthening the economy, but more importantly, we create that access. There's so much desired access in the sport. Yeah, we need to take this game to the people. We can't have press conferences being so far from the people that can't even attend. Every press conference that I've attended is always held held in far places from the townships, and it's high time that we take the game to the people. But we'll bring you back for a longer conversation, Mr. Morrow. Thank you very much for for finding time just to speak to us and help us understand who you are a bit better. Thank you, Tavi. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Our time is really up. Thank you, Luyolo. Baba Alwa on social media. Up next, Mr. Ashraf Gada's big hitter is Professor Bani Pikiana, former UNISA Vice-Chancellor. More sport in the morning with Zai Khan on Sunrise with Stephen Rotes. Always email Kulchik, sport at safm.co.za for any suggestions and ideas. My name is Tabiso Musia. News is next.